Welcome to the Emmaus Fellowship Teaching Podcast. We trust you find this encouraging. Emmaus Fellowship is located at 205 North Pine Street in Woodland Park, Colorado. Our phone number is 719-687-6061. We trust you find this encouraging as you pour over God's Word with us. Gave me a voice and a song Taught me how to sing Can we turn our attention to James 2? We're going to start in verse 8. I want to continue our study of James, the book of James. And we have been doing this since the beginning of the year. And now we're at James 2, 8. All right. Your calling is to fulfill the royal law of love as given to us in this scripture. You must love and value your neighbor as you love and value yourself. For keeping this law is the noble way to live. But when we show prejudice, you commit sin and you violate this royal law of love. Let's continue on in verse 10. For the one who attempts to keep all the law of Moses, but fails in just one point, has become guilty of breaking the law in every respect. But the same one who tells us, do not commit adultery, also says, do not murder. Now, if you don't commit adultery, but you commit murder, then you're still guilty as a lawbreaker. Verse 12. So we must both speak and act in every respect like those who are destined to be tried by the perfect law of liberty. And remember that judgment is merciless for the one who judges others without mercy. So by showing mercy, you take dominion over judgment. Your translation might read, mercy triumphs over judgment. So James 2, 8 through 12, no, 13, that's kind of like the, the, the verse that we're going to be Circling around, we're going to auger down into a couple of points here. We're not going to be able to get to every single point uh, that James is making here. But let's just start by taking a few minutes to talk about the law of liberty. Fitting. Happy Fourth of July tomorrow. The law of liberty. Uh, James refers to this actually as the royal law of love as well as the, the law of liberty. I'm going to share the password to whomever just jumped on. You're welcome. Um, And I want to just do a little comparison contrast between the law of liberty and the law of Moses that was mentioned here in this passage. That kind of reminds me of the song we just sang, If, If I'm Not Dead, then he's still working. Like, we don't want to fixate on our past. We want to understand that the law of Liberty, the freedom that we have in Christ, moves us beyond our past. I, Paul, tell you, if you think there is a benefit in circumcision and Jewish regulations, he's referring now to the law of Moses. 
If you think there's any benefit in that, then you're acting as though Christ is not enough. I say it again, emphatically. If you let yourselves be circumcised, then you're obliged to fulfill every single one of the commandments and regulations of the law of Moses. If you want to be made right with God by fulfilling the obligations of that law, then you have cut off more than your flesh. You have cut yourselves off from Christ and have fallen away from the revelation of grace. But we have the true hope that comes from being made right with God. And by the Spirit, we wait eagerly for this hope. And you're joined to the anointed ones, the the Christ, to Jesus. And when you are joined to Christ, circumcision and religious regulations can benefit you nothing. All that matters now is living in the faith that works and expresses itself through what? Love. So the law of liberty and the law of love, let's say they're synonymous, and let's just orient ourselves towards the contrast between the law of Christ, and which is the law of liberty, the law of freedom, which is made operative, and it's activated, and it functions through our lives with relationship to the Holy Spirit within us. Because here's the, here's the reality. I'm just going to say, and this is where, like, um, the message of Christianity at its truest core, like the gospel of Jesus Christ, differs from all other religions in the world, in my opinion. It's because nothing in our nature can produce a godly life. Nothing in our own edemic nature, like our lineage that comes from fallen man, Adam, all the way through the lineage to you and I, there's nothing in our nature that can produce for us a godly life. Fact is, that nature is actually opposed to righteousness. And this is where the message of the gospel is an affront to most religious folk who do not ascribe to the gospel of grace because they have worked diligently to actually become righteous in and of themselves. Okay, so that would be self-righteousness. Though we may not know what, um, you know, like the, the inner workings of this, we may actually rest in the fact that the Mosaic Law, we cannot in and of ourselves have the ability to meet the righteous demands of that law. Can we just put that out there? Like, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. All that that law can do under such circumstances, the law of Moses, is it's going to demand death as a penalty. All right? But since Jesus Christ paid the death penalty of the law that it required, he has now provided for us life and liberty. And we are set free to let Jesus live his life in us. This is done through the working of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I need to pause here. Man, I feel like I'm coming up against some stuff spiritually. Man, I just feel it. It's been like this all morning. I woke up like this. So you're going to have to bear with me. I'm just showing you a little bit of what's going on behind the curtain here. Like I really feel like the gospel of Jesus Christ is being full on attacked, even in the church. 
I'm like, come on, we want the gospel of grace to be preached. I want Jesus to be lifted up. I do not want us to be adhering to the law of Moses and thinking that we have to blend that in with the message of grace in any way, shape, or form because it is through Christ and him alone that we find our life. Jesus paid the penalty for the death that we were actually, that was laid upon us, the penalty, like the wages of sin is death. We could not fulfill the law of Moses. We couldn't do it. We didn't have the capacity. It's not in us. And if we think we can, then we're living a self-righteous, deceived life. I just said that. That felt good to say. I'm tired of dancing around it sometimes, you know? Paul wrote in Romans 8.2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. The word law here doesn't refer to the Old Testament law, but it's a principle, it's a new method that God has provided in which the Holy Spirit produces life in us. This is what is referred to in the Bible as the law of Christ and as James puts it, the law of love or the law of liberty. Okay, you guys with me? I feel like I'm, okay, I'm back. Okay, so Galatians 6.2, Galatians 6.2, this is huge. Love empowers us to fulfill the law of Christ. Love empowers us to fulfill the law of Christ or the law of liberty. As we carry one another's burdens. So, if your self-will, if your self-righteousness, if your thoughts that you, in and of your own capacities, cannot empower you to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law of Moses, okay, then you have to come in to the gift that love provided by the Spirit of Christ in you empowers you to fulfill the law of liberty. So I want to I think, of, I'm going to bring it down to earth here a little bit. Um, think about the law of the land. Now, the law of the land, um, if I choose to follow the law of the land, it will prevent me from becoming a menace to society. But the law of the land is powerless to mandate love. So, for Jesus to say the greatest commandment is to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, this points us to the higher law, the law of liberty, the law of love. We, we hear this in, uh, in Jesus' teachings in Matthew 22. He goes on to say this, the entire Mosaic law and all of the demands of the prophets are based on the two commandments that I just said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And James echoed this in uh, chapter 2, verse 9. Your calling is to fulfill the royal law of love as given to us in Scripture. You must love and value your neighbor as you love and value yourself for keeping this law is a noble way to live. So... Can I just say that this is our religion? In the most positive sense. Like, sometimes we don't like the word religion. Like, we've actually tried to repent of religion. 
which I get if your religion is tied in any way to the law of Moses. But if you think about religion, you know, in this positive sense, what do I mean by religion? I think that it's, a, it's an okay word to use in the context of the law of liberty. Think about it as the bull, and it's the, it's the kind of the, the framework, as it were, that holds something. We trip up if we're so focused on the bull, and we miss what's in the bull. Or maybe the bull is completely empty, and we don't even realize it because we're so fixated on the bull itself. If the bull is religion, what's in the bull whether that bowl is simple, like a wood-turned bowl, or it's elaborate, made of gold and silver and precious jewels, if love, if the love of Christ is in the bowl, that's a good bowl. So it doesn't matter if we, you know, we have a religious expression that's different than the folks down the road. What Christ is calling us to is this law of love. Because in religion, we can find purpose. We can join ourselves with something larger than ourselves. We can belong to a community. We can find significance. It can be a place where we can find understanding and we can be understood. It's where we can feel safe. It's where we can experience love. So religion in that more pure context, I think is a good thing. And I think it's what's described in the law of liberty. Now, Before we go too far down this rabbit hole, I want to just point out that I brought this as a prop, not to sit on so much, but to talk a little bit about the difference between intention and function. Because when when we talk about religion and when we talk about belief systems, we have to kind of layer in this understanding that there are intentions and then there are functions. For example, this stool right here, um, it was designed with the intention of holding someone, so we could call this a chair. Now, um, let's say I'm walking through the forest, and I get tired, and I see a rock or a log laying on the ground, and I choose to sit on that log. Well, that's serving a function, but it was never intended to be a chair. Okay, so we have things that were intended to be certain things and they function as those things. And then we have other things that weren't intended to be that, but they can function similarly, right? Get what I'm saying? Now compare that to the intention and the functionality of religion or belief systems. All right? Christianity, for example, it's designed and intended like like most religions of the world, to help people find the things that I've just described. Purpose, community, significance, understanding, safety, love. All of these things are intended, and then we can ex- like experience the functioning qualities of that when we enter into that. But other belief systems can function as religion without being intended, kind of like sitting on a log, okay? So let me just describe a couple of those. Environmentalism. I don't know what that just did in you. 
For some of you, even the word helps you find purpose. It helps you find belonging in a community, significance. It helps you find understanding. It's motivated by a desire and a sense of safety, perhaps. And maybe you even experience love if you were an active environmentalist. Let's say secular humanist. Um, what some of you know now as wokeism, one and the same. Nationalism. Dare I say Christian nationalism? What about liberalism or conservatism or even atheism? All of these isms might help us find purpose, community, significance, understanding, sense of safety, and it might even help us define what is love. For example, for the environment, it's loving and caring. For the earth, that is an expression of love for my children's children. But are any of these things actually intended to be religions? But they function as religions. We can sit in them. They can be our chair. And like James, I want to call us up. I don't want us to be a bump on a log thinking that you're securely seated in something lesser than what was always intended. Where are you actually seated? Ephesians 2 makes it very clear. God is rich in compassion and mercy. Even when we were dead and doomed in our sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we are ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm, for we are now co-seated as one with Christ. God intends for you and I to find our resting place in love not the lesser isms. Doesn't mean you can't enter into those spaces. But if they are a substitute for what was always intended, then you're missing out. Throughout the coming ages, it goes on to say in Ephesians 2, verse 7, throughout the coming ages, we will be the visible display of the infinite riches of God's grace and kindness, which he showered upon us in Christ Jesus. If you and I choose to enter into our true religion, the law of love, if we choose to remember that we are seated in that place, and that is our highest calling, then your life will be a visible display of the infinite riches of God's grace and kindness. God intends for our lives to be a visible display of love. How about that? Can we say that as we tie James's encouragement of James 
2, verses 12 and 13, end with this. It says this. We must both speak and act in every respect like those who are destined to be tried by the perfect law of liberty. And remember that judgment is merciless for the one who judges others without mercy. Okay, this will tie us back into last week's message when it talks about how we relate to the quote-unquote others. Whatever those others are. Because maybe that list of isms, maybe there's some others listed in there for you. And maybe we struggle with judgment. Maybe we struggle to have mercy. I just want to just point to James here. We will be held accountable. Not to the righteous requirements of the law of Moses, but rather the law of Christ. The law of liberty that empowers us by the abiding spirit of Christ in us to love. Now, when we stand this week, when we stand at the thousand whys in the road of decisions, of what would we do? Should we do this? Should we do that? You face them every day, all the time. When we stand at those thousand whys in the road each day, the question is not, is this right or is this wrong? The question we ask is, is this love? Living this way, in the royal law of love, it will not only spare you from merciless judgment, it'll make the world a much better place to live. And this is a noble way to live, as James tells us. But I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit can take my words and at least translate them for you so that they make sense. Because one of the things that I am... um, acutely aware of is, like I said before, is there is a a very strong tide towards the lesser ways of living, even within the Christian religion, that would have us sitting on something that was never intended to be the law of love. And I want to call us up into that. I want to call us up into the law of liberty. And I want to remind us that it is by the grace of God that the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life to empower you and give you the capacity to love in ways you never thought possible. So Jesus, we take some time now to reflect and to celebrate the law of love, to celebrate the law of liberty And we release now any allegiance that our hearts may have made to the law of of Moses, to the law of um, sin and death that relies on our capacities apart from you. And so, Jesus, thank you for this bread. I bless it now in your name. This is your body, which was broken for us. And I bless this cup. This is the cup of the new covenant, which speaks of um, the higher way, the law of liberty. So thank you for that. 
And thank you that your covenant is really clear. Like you say that you have established your word on our hearts and our minds. And that we are your people and you are our God. And so we thank you for all the ways that you want to empower us fresh and new today. Jesus, we receive the gift of your love fresh and new today. I want to bless every heart that receives it from you now. I bless your hearts to experience new life as this takes root in the good soil of your heart. I bless it to grow and I bless the fruit of it. Fruit that will remain, that will have a supernatural yield a hundredfold. So thank you for the gift of your love, God, given to us by Jesus. Water it, cultivate it, care for it, cherish it, treasure it, it's yours. Jesus, thank you. And Lord, we just want to ask now, as we go into our week, as we go into our day tomorrow, grateful for the nation that we live in, grateful for the community that we live in, grateful for the family and friends that we have. Would you bless each person? Thank you for all the ways that you're going to help us at all those wise in the road to be able to ask the question and hear clearly what is the way of love. So Jesus, we thank you for this morning and we pray all this in your name, Christ. Amen. It's our joy to offer these podcasts. We sure hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, any prayer requests, feel free to drop us a line at Fellowship at iCloud.com. If you're curious about ways you can be more deeply involved in this community, visit our website at EmmausFellowship.org and be sure to like our Facebook page.